0: Welcome to The Hype Within, exploring journeys of authentic leadership and growth. On the show, tech leaders will share their stories of developing their leadership skills and challenges they faced along the way. You'll learn about their approaches to self-reflection and personal growth, and how they've been able to build a foundation of authenticity that has propelled them to success. I'm your host, Hannah Jakover, B2B marketing leader turned leadership and executive coach. Are you ready to get hyped up? Let's dive in. Hey leaders, we're here with James Gilbert, CMO at Flip, and James is also involved in several communities, one that is very near and dear to my heart, Women in Revenue. James is an amazing ally for our community over there, and he's also involved with Peak Community, and he's an advisor for Sendoso. Hey James, how's it going?
1: Thanks for having me appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today.
0: I'm so excited too. And I was amped to reach out to you because we've been in this like LinkedIn world forever. And so I'm like grabbing the next opportunity to actually hang out with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It's going to be a good time. We should try to bring value, but more importantly, if you're not having fun doing it, then don't do it.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get started. Speaking of fun, can you give me just a little bit of an intro to you through the lens of like your leadership journey? And if you don't mind thinking about framing your leadership style within that as well?
1: Yeah. So I started my career as a civil engineer, actually, um, way back in the day. And it wasn't really something that I could do very long-term because of some eye issues that I had. And things like that. So I had to shift and I had already had a little bit of experience with marketing. And what I decided to do was kind of double down on that and lean into it a lot more. So I had a lot of sales experience at the time. And the nice thing is, is because I did my civil engineering, I was obsessed with numbers and data driven. So that actually compelled my career quite quickly into a leadership role. And so that's also some of like my leadership style, is I really like when those that I serve can also think through the lens of data. And we have like these mottos that I've created over my career um, when I lead teams. And like one of them is like what we just talked about, which is like, have fun doing it or don't do it. Uh, the other one is like looking at things through three lenses. You look at the one through the person who sells, cause they're your customer and you look at the person who keeps the customer happy because they're your customer as a marketer and you look at the person who actually buys the product because they're your real customer as an organization and that kind of has always helped serve some of the, the people that I've, I've helped lead is those models. there's obviously many more but i've now been a cmo this is my third time as a cmo two successful exits before this i've helped advise different companies at seed stage all the way through series c And helped to lead a few of them to acquisition. So I'm excited about that journey. And it's taught me a lot about being organized and not being afraid to take risks, which we'll talk about. And more importantly than all of that, I have a very different background than a lot of people do that are at this level. And so I like to bring that to my leadership and to my style within an organization. I'm very unconventional. You very rarely will see me do the traditional stuff. And I love doing that.
0: I loved seeing it, too, because when we go that non-traditional route, it takes a display of authenticity. You have to show up as yourself to take those big risks. It's not like even a believing. You have to know that you are going to stay true to that and you have the courage to push it forward in whatever situation. So kudos to you. My husband is also an engineer. He's in construction management. The analytical brain is so amazing. And I will explain things to him more on the data side and he gets it so fast. And so I think that's incredible that you can bring it over into marketing. I tell him all the time, if you ever wanted to do something completely new and different, you would crush tech sales. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's interesting because there's a lot of people that have an analytical mind that don't have a creative mind. A lot of times those two things don't mix very well. So. Like even in some of the interviews that I had in the past, one of them was actually at a pretty prominent company. I'm not going to mention them, but I went and met with their CMO and I was dressed in just business attire. I had a sport coat on and just like a collared button up shirt. And the first thing he says to me, is like, you don't look like a very creative person,
0: <laughs> oh.
1: which is pretty not OK in an interview, obviously. But I find it interesting because. This is the part of who I am that is so different than a lot of other people. You know, I was fortunate enough to, and I say fortunate, cause I really do. I'm, I'm grateful for these experiences. I lost my eyesight and went to the four years of college completely blind. And it taught me not just like my love for numbers because I could do a lot of those things in my head and I didn't have to read it, but it also taught me how to be creative in a completely different way. And so you very rarely have like the analytical mind that is super creative, but I think I have it. (laughs) I think.
0: (laughs) I see you out there. I know you have it. I see you. (laughs) Well, I mean, even just the story you tell about your eyesight, and I know you've been really open about that on platforms as well, telling that story. And I think it's super inspirational. Thank you. And I'm sure that it brought that inspired action to you as well so I'd love to hear whether it's that or other people or other events in your life what has been the biggest inspiration and influence to your journey I
1: would say it's a combination of that and a few people in my life I'll tell you what if you've ever had a disability like that it opens your eyes to the humanity of the world Hmm. this is true stories like when i was up at college i would have kids trip me i would have kids shove me in the snow give me a whitewash i couldn't see and this was happening this was humanity before we see it today and we all think humanity is terrible now Hmm. it was real bad back then too and going through those experiences taught me that every person is a human being that has value that they can bring even though we may not always recognize that value right away we have to see people for who they can become and not for who they are today because who they are today is not necessarily who they're gonna grow into and I think that those are some just like core values that it taught me when I went through those things and then there were some individuals in my life that I really like lived this one of them was my grandpa when these kind of podcasts y'all want to hear like oh who did I go to for a leader well this is part of the problem right is some of us don't have the luxury of having this massive network where we can just like have all these mentors and have the best CMOs that we always see on these lists as like our mentors and who helped bring us up. Like that, that's not a reality for most people. And I didn't have a lot of mentors. I had great leaders that I learned a lot from, and I still talk to most of them today. But none of them really helped me grow into the person that I am. And as a leader and so I leaned on like the things that I learned from my grandpa which was always treating people with respect always being kind to them he lived that right and he was a business owner he owned several different businesses and always was honest in his dealings and I wanted to be that kind of leader and then my brother older brother Dave he's probably more of an inspiration than any business leader I've ever met in my whole life and the reason why I say that is You will never hear his name. It's not plastered on all these lists, but I bet you he's done more than any CMO has ever done. And now, like, does investment funds and just is an incredible mind and leader and knows how to do it really, really well. And so he's taught me a lot. And so I lean on my grandpa and my brother there. And then the third one is my mom. My mom was a single mom, raised six kids. We were poor as heck. (laughs) We ate like cereal from curdled milk. Like it was that, that was sometimes our breakfast because that's all we could afford. And so just seeing her hard work every single day, raising six kids alone was not easy. And she did an incredible job with it and she persevered and now is an inspiration to all of us.
0: Mm, I love that answer so much. And even on this show so far, we do hear names of leaders that have truly been inspirational and influential for people but like we are shaped so much by our experiences and our values that are instilled in us when we're younger by the people that we saw and see every single day and I mean I think we're lying if we don't say like those people in our lives are the greatest inspiration my parents are absolutely one of my greatest inspirations as well and taught me more than any leader could have. So I'm happy to hear that, like, it's so close to you. It's your family and the values, the beliefs, the assumptions that have shaped you. And they were really responsible for bringing that to you, which is incredible.
1: Yeah. The, the values that we learn, they teach us our biases, which we have to sometimes get rid of mm-hmm. our, the culture that we're brought up in teaches us our biases. It also teaches us the things that remain core to who we are. And I mean, you could read a million leader books, right? Like a million books about leadership. You could hear keynote speakers, all of it, but none of it matters if like you can't at your core be a human being when the fire is the hottest. And when the fire is the hottest, are you still able to treat the people that are on your team as a human being versus an asset to the company? It's very different. And I think there's a lot of leadership that, that lacks that. As creative leaders as I had, I only had one in my whole career, one that did that. And I have reported to a lot of leaders. And so only one of them actually exuded that and cared for the people as human beings. And, you know, there's always this thing about like, oh, well, if you're a leader, you can't care for them as human beings because, you know, you have to make business decisions. Well, that's not true. Like if you want people to grow, you have to be able to understand who they are to help them reach their goals and help them grow. And if that means that they're going to grow over top of you and you're out, then so be it. Let it happen. And those are just some core things that I truly try to bring to the table.
0: Gosh, I bet you there's so many people out there that would say they have had a long career and there's only been one or two leaders that have really changed their lives and taught them the things that they've brought along with them, which is sad. And I feel like it's moving in the right direction, but I think you, I mean, you drop some gems there, especially talking about just the personal inner work that you have to do, not only to show up as a good leader, but just to like be a good human. And I think we sort of get lost in the shuffle of just like separating all of that. You know, I show up to work and I can just turn all of that off, but man how powerful is it when you actually go through that work and you work on that core of your inner self and you then get to exude that and radiate that out into every aspect of your life it's some life-changing stuff not only for you but for anybody else that you encounter
1: yeah and it kind of goes into something that i think we're going to probably dive into but that's like the traditional leadership that we want to disrupt and just kind of what happens. I mean, I, it drives me nuts when anyone, for the record, says, oh, there's only one way to do things or there's, like, this is the way. Mm-hmm. I even hate the term best practices. Who the hell determined what was best for me?
0: That's so true. Give
1: me a break. Like, It's not a best practice. It was a best practice for what you did and then you were successful with it, so congratulations. But it's not necessarily was successful for everyone. And I think the same thing goes for leadership. I think there's one core truth that all leaders have to master and continue to master it. Cause they're never perfect at it. And that's consistent mindfulness and understanding that like, you don't know all the answers you never will. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, some of the people that report into you might know better and you have to swallow your pride and be able to do that and be mindful about it. So I think that like, that's what's core to the disruption of leadership is the more mindful we can be of ourselves, our surroundings, and the team that we're we're serving, the better, right? Mm-hmm. And there is one leader out there that I think does this incredibly well. And I've heard from some people on his team. And that's Kyle Lacey. Kyle Lacey, I think he always talks about serving his team. And I think he does an incredible job. Like, his, his leadership style is exactly like the servant type of leadership that I try to live by, too.
0: Yeah, I agree We just had Kyle on the show and I had a chance to talk to him about that exactly. And yeah, he's also a leader that I really admire and believe really walks the walk and he can talk about it and actually lives that way as well. Well, I mean, let's just dive in then to disrupting leadership because I I think we're on that flow. Let's just do it. Thinking about what you just said, What other ways do you go about actively challenging and disrupting traditional leadership in our industry?
1: Well, I think actions speak louder than words. We've all heard that. And you can always tell a good leader when they're actually giving their team credit (laughs) and people that are actually doing the work credit rather than taking it all themselves. How often do you see CMOs doing that? On LinkedIn, like almost not ever. (laughs) I see Kyle doing it. I try to do it, but there's not a lot. And I think that's a true test of leadership. Like, do all you want to grow the company and do all those things, but if you're not helping people grow with you and getting to their next level, I think that that's a downfall of bad leadership. And so I think actions speak louder than words. I think another area that I think is disrupting the tech industry is you know roles and responsibilities change a lot. And in my career I've seen The CXO role coming to fruition was a brand new role, right? The CIO role coming into a fruition, brand new role in the C-suite. We've been hearing about the CMO role potentially going away like for 10 years now. Well, it's not going to go anywhere. And then now you have the CRO role and all these responsibilities change. And that's because of exactly our original point. There's no one fit strategy for everything. And you've got to be able to mold and shift to what your business is ultimately going to want to do. And I think the more that leaders can be mindful of those things as well and their responsibilities, the better. And I think that's ultimately what's disrupting the industry, the tech industry and the leadership styles more than ever. I think also people are way more aware of just social issues and things like that, that quite frankly, there's a lot of C-suite executives that are not great at those things. I would even borderline say like, they're the poison that you're talking about and I think it takes an incredible amount of mindfulness to think inward and realize that we all have those biases and we all have those things we're blind to, and we need to be taught. And I think more than ever, the people that we're leading are more aware of things than ever before. They have more information at their fingertips than ever before. You cannot BS them. You cannot put something in front of them and expect them to blindly follow. They will do their research. They see this stuff on TikTok. They see this stuff on YouTube. They see this stuff in their social media channels. No longer are the days of a leader getting into a place where they can just lead blindly and expect people to follow. You have to know your stuff. You have to be able to teach them and educate them along the way. You have to be able to be open to education and being taught by your team as well. And I think that's big disruption of leadership right now that's happening every single day, in my opinion.
0: I think... You make such a good point, especially around the, I mean, all of it, all of it's golden, but the social issues. And I keep saying we are in this generational shift when we worldwide, like globally, generally, when we think about that, but like when we think about our industry also, just the shift of millennials into these decision-making C-suite seats, and then the shift of Gen Z coming into these management seats, and they're the future leaders. And I think you're right, especially when we think about Gen Z, like they are disruptive when it comes to social issues. We thought millennials, we thought we were rah-rah, like out in the streets. Gen Z and oh man, like look at Alpha, like they are, they're doing things so differently. I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of leaders that they don't want to talk about that at work. They don't want to make statements. They don't want to shake anything up. And I've had those conversations with leaders as well. I've had, what are you going to say about this? I want to know. I want to know what the statement is. I want to know what we're telling customers. And I've been in a position where it's like business as usual. And it's really heartbreaking to not have the advocacy and support from a leader around a very important social issue that impacts everyone, but particularly the younger generations more, because we will be living with all the residue. I guess what we're going with is that I'm just curious, like, what should the approach be to leaders who are on the fence that are like, I know that there's social issues out there that I need to care about, and I do care about them personally, but how do I weave that in? How do I make that a priority and let them know that I care and that we're doing something as an organization about it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So let me start by saying, first of all, I know if you're in the C-suite or VP or head of any of those type of roles, I know that you have immense amount of risk on your reputation, how you handle things. I know you do, and I know you have to think about the business first, which is always a good idea. But if you're struggling communicating these things to your organization, and coming up with a plan that means you need to get more involved in shifting the culture <laughs> so that it can allow that right you're at that level for a reason so be the change that you want to make I'll talk about flip for a second like we are a young startup it's the first startup that I've ever actually gone and led as a, at a seed stage never have done that before I've consulted for it but I've never actually gone and led and when I very first got here there isn't a lot of like cultural things that we've built right and so we've had to do that in our first year and you don't always get that opportunity when you're at an enterprise company that's big. right? You don't always get the opportunity. But if you're at the C-level, you certainly have the opportunity to influence it in such a way that it's positive. And I think the bigger the organization is, I think in most cases, they try to manage the social issues pretty well. But it's when you get into the smaller businesses, the startups, it's when you get into the even mid-markets that really do not think about these things at scale like they need to. Mm -hmm. And I think those type of leaders that work for those companies have an opportunity to make a big impact. Even if you don't care about it, realize that people that you are serving will, and they will care deeply about it. So much in fact that that will be the decision whether they stay or leave. And you're not always going to make the right decision because again, like you can't always get it right. I think that's an important thing to remember as a leader is like, you're going to get it right sometimes, but sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And I think open dialogue and open communication with your team is important. We do this thing on my teams that I've, I've served in the past is like, I have a one-on-one with everybody in our marketing department, no matter how big it gets. I have a one-on-one with everybody. And part of that one-on-one is we do a split of like, I want you to tell me about what you have goals for career wise and at work. But I also want you to tell me what your goals are in your personal life. A lot of leaders are going to be like, oh, man, James is full of crap and he shouldn't do that. You know what? Like, forget you. Like, let me tell you how well it's worked, right? The people that I have served in my career have followed me (laughs) because of this. I invest my time in them, not just as a leader, but personally, I care about those people. And you know what? That's fine. If you're the type of leader, like, I can't care about the people because you never know if you're going to have to let people go or not and make those hard decisions. It doesn't change the fact that even if you had to let somebody go, you should still care about them enough as a human being to help them grow. And the only way that you can do that is to truly understand them on somewhat of a personal level, understand what their walk of life is, what they care about. So through that, we developed what we call like this user manual. Think about it like you go to Ikea and you get instructions on how to put together something, right? Imagine if you didn't have that. (laughs)
0: No, I would hand it all over to my engineer husband.
1: (laughs) That's the interesting part is why don't we do that with people? Mm -hmm. We are more complex than any product is ever going to be. We have more emotional attachments to things that you and I like sitting down and talking about the things that we're passionate about. We're going to have vast differences, but we don't do it as human beings. And so we created this user manual and whenever somebody gets hired, they have to fill out the user manual. How do I like to be communicated to? Well, we found out that majority of people, we've provided a channel where people communicate via Slack, but there were some people that hated it. Right. <laughs> Forcing them down a channel to communicate, which they hate. And you obviously, you're not going to be able to solve everything, but it opens your eyes to things that you might be surprised by. And there's people that also like are doing a role that they're really not passionate about. So I think... Us as leaders have to do a better job at asking. Sure, we hired you as director of product marketing, but do you like it? Like, when was the last time you were asked in a role if you actually like doing what you do? And we make a conscious effort to continually do that. And there's been times where I've had a developer turn into a designer. I've had somebody who was a designer who turned into an email marketer because that's what they were passionate about. And I think we have to allow the autonomy of that type of growth. And it sometimes goes against the grain of, well, I have to do what's right for everything that the business wants. And sometimes you just have to do what's right for the people.
0: Yeah. And it's that path of least resistance, of letting people bloom into whatever they want to be. And everyone's going to be rewarded for that, for the most part. Like There will always be an upside to finding and taking that path of least resistance and helping others do the same. I love the user manual. Huge, huge fan of the user manual for many years and something that we also did at Mad do. Everyone, almost everyone that I've had on the show talks about some version of a user manual, which I'm thrilled about. What is your favorite user manual question?
1: I don't know. I've had a lot of them over the years, but I think we do this thing where we have people... Pick like their celebrity, like who they can relate to the most as a celebrity. And I think that's my favorite mostly because one, it's fun. Two, it's not as serious, right? Mm -hmm. And it still helps you understand a lot about somebody. So I think that's the one that I like. But there's so many of them that I think are valuable.
0: (laughs) They're all good. They're all great. I remember being hired at the first place that did that which was it was actually mad kudu that was the first place that i saw do it and i actually had to go through the process and if you ever have to do one just give yourself the time and the space to actually do it actually sit down and do the work and think about the questions and look within to find those answers because it's a really beautiful process to even sit down and go through a user manual or have to create your own user manual. And it's kind of a form of that growth and self-reflection that I think is so important for people to do. And I think that employers and leaders who understand that, like it's not just a user manual for them. It is we're going to showcase how we thrive, how we treat each other, what we expect from you from a growth standpoint. We want you to do this kind of reflection and really, really think about these questions. We had one at Mad Kudu and it was about triggers. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that one sent me over the edge. Oh, I had to really, really reflect on that and say, gosh, I have a lot of a lot of triggers at work. And what are the ones that I haven't ever communicated to somebody and to say hey by the way when you use this word or when you do this thing like that's gonna activate me and it's not necessarily a you thing but it's kind of all wrapped up in my shit and it also helped me work through it on my own I need to work through these triggers and figure out why they happen but I just think it's a fantastic process to go through
1: There's also one that I really like, too, which is, tell me how you like to receive constructive criticism. Ooh, yes. I really like that one because we assume oftentimes as leaders how people like to receive constructive criticism. Like some people like it sugar-coated. Some people like you to, like, be very careful with your words. Other people like it just like, tell me how it is. (laughs) And sometimes that can contrast with your leadership style. How you deliver constructive criticism. And so I really like that one because I think it helps both parties really well.
0: That's a great one. I'm a personal fan. And again, this is like going against the grain because, like, you're not supposed to do this. But for me personally, I like a shit sandwich. Like, tell me the good thing, tell me something bad, and then tell me something good again. That's just what I personally like because. I also am neurodivergent and have rejection sensitivity. And and so you got to sort of like warm me up to the criticism. But you're right, everybody's different. And asking that question is so important. So you can get that answer. And then as a leader, it might be uncomfortable for you to change the way that you have to communicate, but that's an edge for you. That's a growth edge for you. And those are important to also understand and have visibility around is where your learning edges. Totally agree. Thinking about personal growth and self-reflection, what are some things that you do, your routines or your practices that you make time for?
1: Well, yeah, there's quite a few of them. I have a pretty rigorous morning routine. I used to not be a morning person, but I try to wake up a little bit earlier nowadays muscle like on a journey to lose weights so kind of like exercise in the morning, reading in the morning and doing meditation. And you know, meditation is it's interpreted differently for so many people. But for example, like having thoughts that you can just have to yourself and moments of peace that you can have to yourself, I think are important. And so I spend a lot of time meditating, two or three times a day actually. I exercise, I read a lot. Most of the time, I try to have a queue of at least five books in the queue. So when I'm done with one, I have another one that can, I can learn from. So reading a lot, going on walks, going outside, getting away from the desk for a little bit, I think is important. So those are the things that I think can help you personally as a leader. And again, practicing mindfulness, which I think it has to be actively practiced. And that's the difference between that and Just allowing it to happen, like you have to actively practice it. The next time you get really upset, even with your kids or your spouse or at work, practice the mindfulness to not immediately react. And it will change how you approach things. And then I think the other big one that I've kind of already mentioned is I really do try to get to know the people that I'm serving. And I try to get to know them at a level where I feel like I could help them um, regardless of it, if it had to do and nothing to do with work, I could still help them in their life. And that helps create and foster a deeper connection to where they know I'm serving them and I always have their back. And the same thing goes for me. And that really helps both sides a lot.
0: Yeah. And even them seeing you take the time to do reflection and growth and share those things with them is going to encourage them to also find the time and the space and the thing that helps ground them. Even if it's like an unspoken thing, like that is being an inspirational leader. I think we forget that spending that time on yourself is so important as leaders and people are watching you. People are watching you work through being mindful or work through reflection, watching you change a behavior. I know when I've seen leaders do that, it moves something in me and encourages me to reflect on my own areas, my own learning edges. And you just notice it. I had a leader once where I could tell she was trying to change the way she approached like a certain style of communication. And it was really incredible to watch. And I knew she was working with a coach and I would just sort of take note of it. Like, wow, she's really taking a step back, taking a breath and approaching this in a way that I see is uncomfortable for her, but it is a more effective way to communicate. And I've seen the opposite side of it too, where she didn't do those things, but like the growth and the dedication to actually then making that happen and making that a habit was incredible to watch in a leader.
1: I think one of the greatest things that you can do as a leader is truly providing an autonomous way for your team to give you feedback. If they lay it into you, you have to be so mindful and calm that you have no bias with how that went down how it was communicated because remember like they may not have as much experience with their communication style as you so of course they're not going to be communicating it like somebody who's had 20 plus years of experience that's just not going to happen so you have to allow an autonomous way of, of them giving feedback sometimes it's ugly sometimes it hurts but i think when you do that you also open up the opportunity for there to be true trust because if you listen to them and you're not reacting and going out and letting people go because like, oh, they didn't get along with you or you, whatever the case is. You're providing a, a trust factor that oftentimes doesn't exist in their previous environments. Just truthfully, it doesn't. And so it's pretty rare. And That's some of the unconventional stuff that I think can be brought to the table by many leaders that doesn't exist in a lot of the other environments.
0: Mm-hmm. Just staying curious and not reacting. Also, like, what do they need? Understanding what is the need? Every behavior, every reaction is coming from that unmet need. And just being curious about, gosh, what do they need right now to be successful, be seen, be heard, whatever it is. I need to just stay really curious about that and keep asking questions that will lead us to those answers.
1: I do agree with you too on the, like the publicity of it. Like everyone's watching you. Your team is watching you. When you go through these active listening moments and you allow the feedback to come to you in a way that's just unfiltered, they watch that, you know, like there's been times where my team has given me like some brutal feedback. (laughs) This example that I'll give is not brutal, but like a recent example is like, I always try to help in areas that I know the team is maybe lacking a little bit of resources and things like that until we can like hire for it. So I like go and get my hands dirty. I'm not that type of CMO that just sits up and like, okay, like do this, do that, do this, that. I'm not like that. So I always ask the team, where do you need me this week, right? Well, they needed me a month and a half ago to do some social posts. And I like scheduled a ton of them. And apparently I improperly use emojis. And they had to call me out on it and it was like in front of the whole team and they're like, "Yeah, James, you can no longer use emojis." <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm kind of hurt by that because I like the way I use emojis." <laughs> but I think you have to allow that type of feedback even if it's silly and small like it also like I think it lets the team know look if they're willing to adjust and shift and continue to change and learn and educate them I should too. Lead by example.
0: Yeah, lead by example. And there's always TikTok if you, you know, (laughs) TikTok school. That's the emoji school I went to. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about some daring or non-traditional decision-making that I know that like you are not the typical CMO. You will kind of make decisions and put great ideas out there that may catch some eyeballs. Maybe you have a story or two around a situation like that where it was hard, it was non-traditional, it was daring, but it paid off.
1: I have so many. I was telling you before the show that we could literally spend like the whole show on on just this section. I'll give you two quick ones. So one of them is actually at Flip. Um, We made a conscious decision when we rebranded that we wanted to be fun, edgy, and different. So to do that, I had to do something that I still am a little bit uncomfortable with and is risk. And that's that we have a lot of swear words all over our website. We have it in our podcast, like, because you know, the brand flip, we use our favicon as the F, right? So we like play around with it with the F word and things like that. And it's risky, right? Because there's a big audience out there that, that, that people don't like that. But there's also a big audience out there where people are like, wow, this is different. And we chose to take that risk, and it's paid off so far. Uh, it's been good, but we've had to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one risk that's very recent. Another one, and I will reference Flip again, is we were doing category creation. We still are. Like we're building a category that's new to people. And so, if you've ever read like the Play Bigger book, which is the one like right above my head behind me. It's a great book, but it kind of teaches you about how to do lightning strikes and things like that. And like these unique moments in time where people are like, holy cow, this is awesome. Well, like second day into the job here at Flip, it was previously Red Route. And my CEO and the founding team comes to me and they're like, hey, we think we want to do a name change. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And what do we think of the name wants to be? And la de da da right? So we spent a whole week talking about this. And then they're like, oh, and we're going to want to rebrand, new website. We want to build a swag store. We want like all the swag that goes with it for the lightning strike. We want to build like a new ecosystem of partners all across the e-commerce space. You get these things as a CMO periodically throughout your tenure. you tackle them one by one, and then it becomes like this new thing and this new announcement, but like our CEO is pretty adamant on like, we need this all to happen in the next three months. So we had to do all of this in three months time complete rebrand rename and people don't care if you do a rebrand they're like oh yeah that's cool but they don't really care so how do you make people care about it we well, have to build hype so we did this like risky thing to build hype where we had all of the c-suite do challenges throughout the time so if we add 50 registrations to our lightning strike event somebody would have to do a challenge. And that first challenge was our CEO had to try one of the top 10 hot sauces in the world. Right? (laughs) Not really risky. I mean, he may have to go to the hospital, but likely no. So not really risky. But as it went on, things got riskier. Our whole C-suite, except for myself, (laughs) ended up dyeing their hair, some of our color palette. So like on stage, on our lightning strike, our CEO had lime green hair. Our CRO had our teal color that's part of our color palette. And then our CTO had purple hair because those are part of our colors. And then the very last thing was if we got to a certain registration, we would have one of us have a knife, like a professional knife thrower, throw knives at us. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, no one was volunteering for that. So I decided to. And we almost couldn't find a knife thrower. And we were in New York, and this is where we were doing our lightning strike. And all of a sudden, the VP of Partnerships reaches out to me. He's like, dude, I found you a knife thrower. (laughs) And I'm like, dang it, Sean. Why couldn't you just let that go? (laughs) (laughs) So we drive two hours out to his house. And the guy comes and meets me. He sets up the board and doesn't take a practice shot. He's like, okay, go stand there. Just to make sure everything's good. And he just starts chucking knives at me. Oh, my God. And he doesn't like hit me, obviously. Then he has me hold a straw in my mouth and he wants to cut the straw from the one in my mouth. And so I did. And I'm wearing like the flip gear and everything like that. And my CEO later reached out to me. He's like, dude, like if I would have known when you were going to do that, I would have put a stop to it. I was like, that's way too risky. And I was like, I know, Brian, but this is exactly what we needed as a brand. And I think sometimes you have to do the really unconventional weird stuff because that's just what people love. They love the weird unconventional stuff. And I think about brands who are doing this really, really well right now. Like think about lavender. They're just like booming right now because they're doing weird, unconventional stuff. Maybe not have a knife thrown at them. There's lots of different ways you can go about that, but still very risky when you do unconventional stuff.
0: Oh, it's exciting. I'm like, my blood pressure has risen just thinking about this story. (laughs) And that's part of it too, right? Like there's a total psychological component to it. That's scary. Good for you. And yeah, I totally agree. It's way more exciting. Nobody wants to be boring. Nobody wants to have boring B2B marketing. And I'm so glad we're out of the like era of B2B being boring. I think there's a lot of brands nowadays that are like, no, we're not doing that anymore. But I will say it's not just you or like this one marketing campaign that has to be kind of a culture for you to have it be sustainable and have it be perceived as authentic
1: you got to entertain and educate and if you have the combination of those two things then you're good
0: yeah i can't wait for more i'm ready to do some entertaining with this last segment (laughs) let's do it okay we're gonna do a game of lead or leave So I'll give you a couple different scenarios and you just have to rapid fire, tell me if you would lead in that situation or if you would leave. You don't have to quit or anything, but like, I'm not doing that. I'm not signing up for that. (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right. The first one is scheduling an impromptu roast the boss event to show your team you can laugh at yourself.
1: Whole. We literally had this conversation internally. I'm not even kidding you. Like, I love it. We were literally going to do this as an organization. It was an idea that was brought up, and I volunteered to be the first person roasted. So I would totally lead that.
0: <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Offering employees the option to receive part of their salary in cryptocurrency. Yeah. Nope. I'm out. You're out on that one. All right. Okay instituting karaoke fridays where team members must present their weekly reports in songs
1: i would lead that for sure that would be fun that's a great idea i might bring that up with the team
0: yeah steal it do it okay let's do a serious one <laughs> the company decides to pivot into a new business model that is more profitable but less aligned with your core values and mission
1: mm. I'm going to give the unconventional answer, and I would say lead. And the reason why is because I think you can always learn something in situations that you're uncomfortable in.
0: Hmm. And then know when to leave, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or right. inviting Elon Musk to give a motivational talk on innovation and risk-taking to your team.
1: Hmm, this one's a hard one. I think I'd say lead because I try to teach my team you can learn from anybody.
0: Even Elon. It's true.
1: I mean, I think we could all learn from Elon, positive and negative.
0: (laughs) There's lots to learn. The bar is low. (laughs) All right, this will be the last one. All future company meetings and board meetings are held in virtual reality.
1: Mm, I'm going to say no on that one. Do
0: you want to provide some justification there?
1: There's a human connection that is in my opinion, mandatory for us to be humans with each other and to work with each other. And so virtuality just removes more of the humanity. And I think we're seeing this with the fear of like AI and things like that. We're, we're an AI company at Flip. And the number one thing that we hear about is the massive amount of fear of like, is there ethical things that we need to be worried about? And the answer is yes, there is. And then when we start replacing the human connection that we feel, Think about how many people love going to, like, physical events right now. That's because COVID created a virtual world for us, and now we all crave human connection in person. So I think that the answer has been in front of us the whole time and why that, like, just virtual wouldn't work.
0: Human connection. I mean, it's part of the reason why we're all here, I think, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well, I could talk to you all day, literally, we're gonna have to have a part two, because we didn't even get to some of the questions that I know you have amazing answers on. So we'll have to do another one. But to wrap things up, for the emerging execs and leaders out there that are looking to enhance their personal and professional growth, what do you recommend either resources, experiences, exercises, what do you want them to be thinking about?
1: Well, I think number one, join communities where you can find others that are trying to do the same thing, so that you can learn from them. And join communities that have mentorship programs. That's something I didn't have as a up and coming leader, and I wish I would have. Wish I would have had some mentors that could help guide me on some of the decisions that I made. And then, again, like read. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, and if you don't like reading, then listen to books. There's a lot of great information out there that you can be taught and learn and you know there's things like a book like called unthink by adam grant that's a good one it helps teach you different leadership qualities that you can put to practice and it uses very real controversial examples where you can see like people come into those situations with bias and how their bias oftentimes affects how they lead and so i think that there's a lot of books out there that you can read that will help teach you those things So those are the three things I would say.
0: Thank you so much, James. I love your stories. I love everything that you're putting out into the universe. And I can feel the energy from you. So I just appreciate the authenticity and showcasing that on the show, as well as just like every day out in the wild. So thank you for coming on.
1: You've been an amazing host, Hana. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you walk away with something empowering that you can take into your own leadership journey. Are you a high-performing executive looking to take your career to the next level? Or maybe you're an emerging leader who wants to develop the skills you need to advance in your role and show up authentically. Or maybe you're experiencing burnout and struggling to find a better work-life balance. Whatever your situation is, one-on-one coaching can help you achieve your personal and professional goals. If you're interested in experiencing the power of coaching for yourself, head on over to hypehousecoaching.com backslash start coaching now, where you can set up a one-on-one leadership and executive coaching intro session for free. Remember, the only hype that really matters is the hype within.